talk to God and we've been learning about the power of prayer and how we can have certain biblical patterns uh, that we find in scripture and we can use those patterns for our prayer lives and uh, how many of you have used one of these patterns that we've been talking about have you implemented any of these patterns as you've been praying and uh, we're asking that this would uh, be a series that would help uh, strengthen and reinforce our prayer lives and we're going to conclude this series this morning and uh, you can find a seat today and if you have a Bible today, we're going to look to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 33 is where we'll be today. And in week number one of this series, we talked about the prayer that our Lord Jesus gave to the disciples and the pattern that he gave them. And last week, if you were here last week, we talked about the prayer of Jabez and uh, this prayer that that Jabez said, Lord, would you bless me? Would you stretch me? Would you empower me? Would you protect me? And uh, uh, we looked at that template. And today we're going to look at the prayer of Moses in Exodus chapter 33. And if you are ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? And as we approach Easter weekend, we want to be approaching with a spirit of prayer. And uh, we want to make sure that we are active in fulfilling the calling that God has given us, but also that we are praying and asking that God would do what only God can do. And so uh, today, as we consider the power of prayer in this text, let's be praying for uh, what God wants to do this coming uh, weekend. Exodus chapter 33, we will cover uh, many of the verses in this chapter today. And so I would encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready uh, throughout uh, the message today. But uh, we're going to start reading here in verse number 9. For our scripture reading this morning. The Bible says this. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle. The cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. Verse number 10. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshiped every man in his own tent door and the lord spake unto moses face to face everybody turn to your neighbor and nudge him and say face to face as a man speaks unto his friend and he turned again into the camp but his servant joshua the son of Nun, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. Today, for a few minutes, I just want to speak to this simple subject today, getting close to God, getting close to God. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time that we have sung your praises and worshiped you. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased with our worship today in every service. God, we're praying that you would do the miraculous in our midst uh, next weekend. But God, we're praying that you would speak to us in a powerful way even today, uh, right here, right now in this service. Lord, I pray that we would uh, seek to emulate this kind of prayer that Moses emulates for us here uh, in the Old Testament. And God, I pray that we would understand how this text is relevant and how it applies to our lives today. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said today, 
How many of you have a personal bubble in terms of your space when talking with people? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You have a bubble, and uh, you want to kind of make sure that you have uh, uh, that proximity and alignment. And many of you might know that I kind of operate with a little bit of a bubble, and I'm not a huge hugger, and I don't know why. I'm not against hugs. If if you give me a hug today, no problem. But uh, typically, I'm not just a a big hugger. And uh, I remember several months ago, there was a visiting missionary. He's a great man, and uh, he's a great uh, man of God that was visiting. And uh, he came uh, after the service, and he was smiling, and he was making a beeline towards me. And uh, this was several months ago, and uh, he was kind of making a beeline towards me, and I thought, here it comes. You know, here comes the hug, right? I was kind of bracing myself for it. And as he was smiling and making a beeline towards me, he did not give me a hug. He surprised me, and he came, and he gave me a kiss right on the cheek out of nowhere and uh, gave me a kiss on the cheek, and I was like, I was not expecting that. And, uh, and uh, it was something that he is familiar with in his culture and something that we are not familiar with in our culture. And how many of you are thankful for that, right? And, uh, and it came, gave me a kiss on the cheek and uh, uh, kind of surprised me uh, in that moment. Uh, you know, the reality is, is there are certain relationships in our lives that uh, we actually desire to uh, have a very close relationship with. Some people uh, today, uh, we might have that kind of bubble and uh, we might uh, ha- want to keep that distance uh, when it comes to conversing. In fact, uh, how many of you know a, a close talker, a close talker? You know, someone that, gets, someone that gets real close to you. I read an article a few weeks ago uh, about uh, a close talker, and it was, it was something like seven tips to how to politely handle a close talker. And I thought, I'm interested in that. How do you politely handle someone that's, you know, talking uh, very close to you? And I kid you not, number five on the list was put your hand out in a signal that says no. And I thought, I, thought, I don't know if that's very polite. Can you imagine if someone did that? They just approach you and just, hey. Keep your distance, right? And uh, I don't know if that's very polite, but that was one of the ways uh, to deal with, uh, with a close talker. Uh, but the reality is some, some relationships in life we do want to be close to, whether it's, uh, whether it's family or friends or children or uh, your marriage. And there are certain relationships that you want to have a close connection with. And the, the question that I want us to consider this morning is how can we have a close connection with God? How can we make sure that we are in close proximity with the God that created us? Sometimes we feel as though God is putting his hand out saying, stay away. But the reality is, is God wants to invite us and to encounter his presence. And so the question that I have for us today is, how do we encounter the presence of Almighty God? How do we get close to God? Now, it's an interesting question because uh, we know in one sense that uh, God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere at once, that he is all-powerful, and we know that there is something uh, called the all-pervading presence of God. Aren't you thankful today that no matter where you are, that God's presence is available? He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. There is the all-pervading presence of God, but then there is the manifest-pervading presence of God, but then presence of God. That is when we can sense God's presence uh, in a very tangible way, Uh, perhaps maybe in a revival service or a church service, or maybe you're reading your Bible and having sense the presence of God. Uh, This would be uh, the manifold presence of of God. And the reality is is sometimes uh, we don't sense God's presence. Uh, There was this section in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 28, verse number 16, that says this, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, surely... The Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. He was so close, 
and yet he was so far. We can never escape the reality of God's presence, but sometimes we don't sense God's presence. And so how can we get close to God? I have good news for you today if you're interested in that question. The Bible says in Psalm 145, verse number 18, the Lord is nigh, he is near, he is close unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. I'm thankful today that the Bible makes this promise and this guarantee that God will actually draw nigh to us us if we draw nigh to him. When we approach God in prayer and when we learn to talk to God in prayer, uh, the Bible says that he is nigh, that he is close unto all them that call upon him. Now, if anyone knew about this close proximity and getting close to God, it was Moses. Because I love what the Bible says in verse number nine of our text, that, that the Lord talked with Moses. Don't you just love the simplicity there? That the Lord talked He had a conversation with Moses, and we're going to unpack what that means and how uh, we can apply that to our lives today, but I think it would be appropriate for us today to understand a little bit of uh, the context for Exodus 33. Would that be okay today? It's it's important to note that in Exodus chapter 32, Moses was doing something pretty significant. He was up on top of Mount Sinai, and he was receiving the Ten Commandments from God. How many of you would say, pretty significant moment uh, in history, right? Uh, Moses is receiving those Ten Commandments. He comes down off the mountain, and as you might know, if you are familiar with the story, uh, that as Moses comes down, the people had rejected God, they had rejected uh, the teachings of Moses, and they were now uh, finding themselves in false idolatry and committing all kinds of sexual immorality. Moses came down off Mount Sinai, and he finds the children of Israel, they are worshiping the golden calf, and they are uh, rejecting what they had uh, received. How many of you are familiar with this story, this scene? Moses comes down, and he sees all this. Moses gets angry. He gets upset, and he breaks the Ten Commandments. And I don't mean that he violated the Ten Commandments. I mean, he took the stones, the tablets, and he broke them. And he was upset because the people were engaging in this kind of sinful activity. And the Bible says this regarding that scene in Exodus 32, verse number 19. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf, so this golden calf of idolatry that the people were engaged in, in the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mountain. And so there is this uh, uh, scene that is filled with tension that Moses comes down and the, and the children of Israel were engaged in idolatry and immorality and Moses is upset. And yet Moses does not give up on the people. In fact, what Moses does next is he goes and he pleads on behalf of the people before God. And he says, God, would you demonstrate your grace unto your people. And he has this conversation with God. And so uh, as we approach Exodus chapter 33 today, and as we unpack this text together, you have to understand the scene in which Moses is praying and talking with the Lord. He is pleading on behalf of the people. And today as we look to this text and as we look to these verses, I want to give us three powerful ways that we can encounter God's presence. How many of you today are interested in encountering God's presence. Are you interested in that today? I believe that there are three ways in the text, and I want you to see them. Uh, Number one is this, if you're taking notes. You have to be honest about your condition. You have to be honest about your condition. And I want to pick up the text in verse number one. If you're with me today, would you say amen? Amen. Verse number one of Exodus chapter 33. The Bible says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, Thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, 
And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Very powerful uh, section of verses. Three very interesting verses. In those verses, there's some really good news and there's some really bad news. The really good news is that God says to Moses, I'm going to let you go to the promised land. Even in spite of your sin, even in spite of your wickedness to the children of Israel, even though you were worshiping that golden calf, I am going to keep my promise. By the way, aren't you thankful that God always keeps his promises? He says, the promise that I made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I'm going to keep that promise, and I'm going to allow you to experience my blessings. You can still go up thence to the promised land. You can go to that land that is flowing with milk and honey. Uh, This is a testament to the grace and the goodness of God. And uh, he says, I want... I want you to go and experience my promise. But then he says this. Here's the really bad news. I'm not going with. Did you notice it in verse number three? Notice it again. He says in verse number three, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. And so you have this very interesting scene where God says, I'm going to give you my blessings. I'm going to give you this provision, but I'm not going to go with you lest I consume thee. The implication was God did not want to consume them. Uh, Because of his holiness, uh, God says, I don't want to destroy. I don't want to consume you. Even though their sin abounded, uh, grace did much more abound. And I'm thankful today that the grace of God is greater than all of our sin. And so he says, I don't want to consume you in the way, but I'm not going to go with you. And so they're in this predicament. Are you with me today? Here's the predicament. God says, I'm going to give you my promises, but I'm going to withdraw my presence. And this is a very dangerous place to be in life. When you are more concerned with the provisions from God than you are the presence of God. Many people today are interested in the provision from God. I want the blessings from God. I want to have joy in my life. I want to have peace in my life. I want to have blessings in my life. I want the purpose of God and the hand of God to be on my life. I want want the blessings from God. But, But I wonder today, are you interested in the gift or are you interested in the giver of the gifts? Because God says, I'm going to keep my promise, but I'm going to withdraw my presence. Now, uh, how were the people going to respond to such a statement? How would the children of Israel respond to this? This really good news, okay, yes, we get to go to the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. We get God's blessings, but God's not coming with us. How would they respond? Notice it in verse number four. The Bible says this. And when they heard these evil tidings, they mourned. The word mourned is a very strong and heavy word, uh, carrying the idea of when you lose a loved one, you will mourn. Uh, By the way, there is a time as followers of Jesus and as the people of God that we should mourn. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. There's a time when we should mourn. When we hear about the tragic shooting that took place this past Monday, that should cause our hearts to break and to mourn for the wickedness, for the evil that is rampant in our nation, in our world today. Uh, There is an appropriate time for mourning, and we ought to pray and ask God, Lord, would you break my heart for what breaks your heart? And the people here, they they recognize, oh, God's going to let us go to the promised land. We're going to experience God's provision, but we're not going to experience his presence, and they begin to mourn. This was a good response. Uh, They realize this is not good. We don't want to just go to the promised land without God. Uh, We don't want to uh, go void of his presence, and so they mourn. Notice verse number four. They mourned, and watch this, and no man did put on his ornaments. 
Okay, so what does that mean? Is that, you know, we think of ornament like a Christmas tree, and uh, uh, no man did put on his ornaments. Now, let's keep reading verse number five. It says this, for the Lord said unto Moses, uh, say unto the children of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. You are rebellious. Uh, you are stubborn, essentially. You are stiff-necked people, and I will come into the midst of thee in a, in a moment and consume thee. Therefore, now, put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by uh, the Mount Horeb. And so here's what's happening. Uh, the children of Israel, they were wearing these ornaments. Essentially, this was kind of like jewelry that they had received from the Egyptians upon their exodus from Egypt. They had all this fancy gold and jewelry and these ornaments that they were wearing. And what was happening was these ornaments, this jewelry, jewelry was bringing glory to themselves. They loved to worship the golden calf, and they were wearing all of these ornaments, this jewelry, and they loved to uh, worship the God of self. This, this was producing self-exaltation. It was very superficial. It was all about the cosmetics. It was all about, look at me, look at what I'm wearing, look at what I uh, uh, can do, and look at all these ornaments that were bringing glory uh, to themselves. And so what they do here in this moment of mourning and repentance is they say, you know what, this isn't about cosmetics. This isn't about me and what I'm wearing and, and getting attention for myself. And so they get rid of those ornaments. They put them off because this was a sign of repentance and mourning. I find it very fascinating in Exodus chapter 35, so just two chapters later in verse number 22, uh, what we see is that the children of Israel took these same ornaments. Are you with me today? They t are you with me today? They took these same ornaments and what they did was they donated them for the building of the tabernacle. What they once used to glorify themselves, now they are using to glorify God. See, please hear me today. This is a principle of Stewardship. You can take what God has entrusted to you, you can take what God has given you, and you can use it for your own glory, or you can use it for the glory of God. This is the principle of stewardship. Stewardship is not about what you have, it's about what you do with what you have. They had these ornaments, these jewelry, and they were bringing attention to themselves and glory for themselves. But when they were caught in, in their sin and when they were recognizing uh, the sinful nature that they had, they said, you know, we want to give this to the Lord. We want to donate and sacrifice this uh, for the things of the Lord. And so what happens here right off the bat is the children of Israel, they are honest about their condition and they repent and they mourn. And I just want you to know today, if you are serious about encountering God's presence, you have to be honest about your spiritual condition. You have to pray the psalmist said, Lord, reveal any wicked way in me. Uh, Lord, Lord, I want to be close to you, and I don't want some sort of sin in my life to keep me at a distance. I don't want some sort of sin in my life. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so often we are not encountering the presence of God is because we are actively engaging in sin. Is because we are caught up in the sin, and there is pleasure in sin for a season. And we have to recognize today that if we want to encounter God's presence and we want a real powerful prayer life, we have to be honest about our condition. And so right after that, the children of Israel, they, they, they mourn, they repent because they recognize we don't want the provision of God without the presence of God. And this leads us to our second thought today. Number two is this. If we're going to encounter God's presence, we have to be willing to put in the effort. You know, something that we like to say at Rock Hill is nothing great was ever built apart from sacrifice. And there are some things in life that are worth fighting for. There are some things in life that are worth the effort, that are worth uh, the intentionality. And I want you to see what happens next uh, in our text today. If you're with me today, would you say amen? amen? Verse number seven. Notice what happens next in the narrative. It says this, And Moses took the tabernacle, and he pitched it without the camp. Now, I'm going to explain some of these things in a moment, but let's try to capture the scene. He pitched it without the camp, uh, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. 
Okay, now let me unpack this for, for a moment here. Uh, Moses takes this tabernacle, this tent, and he removes it outside of the camp. Now, this is not the tabernacle, okay? This was not the main tabernacle that we read about later in Exodus, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, This was not that tabernacle. This was a temporary, uh, smaller kind of prototype of that tabernacle. Are you tracking with me today? This is a smaller tent tabernacle that Moses would use to encounter the presence of God. And so what he does is he takes this tabernacle tent and he removes it outside of the camp. In other words, the message that God was sending is, I'm not going to dwell in the midst of your golden calf worship. I'm not going to be in the same place of your sin and your wickedness. Uh, I am too holy for that. And so uh, they took that tabernacle of of congregation, of meeting, and they moved it without uh, uh, the camp. They move it outside of the camp, which means that it made it a little bit more difficult for the people to encounter God's presence. In fact, in verse number 7, it says those that sought the Lord would have to leave their tent. They would have to go to that uh, tabernacle of congregation. They would actually have to uh, go outside of the camp. They could still encounter God's presence. They could still go and talk to God, uh, but it was going to require a little bit more work. They had to kind of put their garments on. They had to put their sandals on. They had to get up. They had to get a little bit earlier, and they had to go out outside of the camp in order to uh, meet with God. Can I tell you today that, that, that sometimes... When it comes to encountering the presence of God, you're going to have to give a little bit more intentionality. Sometimes you're going to have to set an alarm. You're going to have to wake up a little bit earlier. You might have to invest into a journal. You might have to say no to a good thing so that you can say yes to the best thing. But I want you to know that encountering the presence of God is always worth the effort. Uh, This was something that those that sought the Lord, and and I'm praying that at Rock Hill Church there would be those that seek the Lord, that would say, you know, we want to encounter, we want to pursue the presence of God, even if it requires a little bit more intentionality. And so the people uh, would have to go after God. They They would go without the camp. By the way, this is something that the New Testament talks about. In Hebrews chapter 13, it talks about how they would go without the camp, how they would have to go outside of the camp to go to that temporary prototype tabernacle. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 13, it says this, Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And so the author of Hebrews says that sometimes in order to encounter the presence of God, you have to leave that that comfortable station. You have to go outside of the camp, bearing his reproach. What does that mean? That means that not everyone will understand your passion to encounter the presence of God. Sometimes there's going to be a reproach. Sometimes people won't understand your commitment to follow Jesus. And and, and so uh, we have to be willing to go outside the camp bearing his reproach. By the way, it's better to have the reproach of men than the reproach of God. And so we have to be willing to go outside of the camp. And so there was a little bit more intentionality. Now, notice verse number 8. And it came to pass when Moses went out of the tabernacle... That all the people rose up and stood, every man, watch this, at his tent door, at his tent door, and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. Now, now those that sought the Lord in verse number 7 went all the way out to the tabernacle. But here it says that every man stood at his tent door, which gives the idea and the connotation that some people were content to stay in the comfortable nature of their own tent. That not everyone wanted to get out and to get close. This was kind of a half-hearted worship. Like, we'll go and look, but we're going to stay in the confines of our own tent. You know, some people are curious about the things of God, and then other people are close to the things of God. 
And we see this all the time in our culture today. Some people are very curious about the things of God. But I wonder, are you close to the things of God? When it comes to the work of the ministry, when it comes to the work of God, uh, I, wanna, I don't want to sit up in the nosebleed sections. Uh, I want to have an up-close and personal encounter with God. And so some people were kind of content to stay at a distance. Notice verse number 9. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle that the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. Now, this was something that had already been done uh, in, in, in the past in Exodus. There was already precedent for that cloudy pillar. Uh, essentially, uh, just like a king or a queen, when they're in their castle, oftentimes a flag will be raised to indicate that their presence is there, that they're in their castle. Well, that cloudy pillar stood as an indication that God was meeting with Moses. And people would see that cloudy pillar. And it says this, and the Lord talked with Moses. Now we're going to kind of touch on this intimacy in their conversation when it comes to prayer. The Lord talked to Moses. Now notice verse number 10. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshiped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. Uh, this, this, this phrase that they spoke face to face, it's a figure of speech. It means that they had plain speech, that they had a, a real conversation. And I don't know about you, but I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that tabernacle tent to hear this conversation between Moses and the Lord. As a man speaks to his friend. You know, God talked to Moses differently. This was unique. This was special. Okay, are you with me today? This was a special conversation because the Bible says this in Numbers chapter 6, verse number 6. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. And so God says when it comes to these prophets, I'm going to speak through a vision or through a dream, but with my servant Moses, it is not so. Who is faithful in all mine house, with him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. Do you see how God is saying, I'm going to speak to Moses more directly. Other prophets, I'm going to give a vision, I'm going to give a dream, but with Moses, I'm going to speak face to face, I'm going to have a, a real conversation as a man speaks to his friend. How many of you would say, man, I wish I could have that kind of intimacy with God, I, I, speaking to God face to face and have that kind of conversation? Well, you know, Jesus says something interesting in the New Testament in John chapter 15. He says this in John 15, verse 15, henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth, watch this, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father and made known unto you. He, he calls us friends. We learned in week number one that we can approach God with intimacy as Father, as Abba. But now we learn that we can talk to God as a friend. Now, if you have a good friend that you enjoy talking to, this should change your perspective on prayer. How many of you have a friend that you really enjoy having conversation with, right? A friend that maybe they get your sense of humor. Uh, they understand uh, your paradigm, your perspective. You can have a friend that you know they're going to get you when you talk to them, uh, that they're going to be understanding. Uh, sometimes we don't talk to God as a friend. Sometimes we talk to God as a doctor. We show up and we say, here's my symptoms. Here's what's wrong. Now I need a prescription. How are you going to fix it? Or sometimes we might, we might talk to God like a police officer, like your tone will change. Like, I'm sorry about that, sir. I did not see that stop sign when I was, you know, we, we can talk to God as a doctor. We can talk to God as a police officer. Uh, but here is the beautiful truth today that we can speak to God. We can talk to God in prayer as a friend. And the Lord talked with Moses. There was this, there was this intimacy here that they could just have this, this conversation that he talked to him. Notice verse number 14. And so um, it says this, and he said, my presence, because they had this conversation, Moses is asking God, pleading with God, uh, would you go with us, God, into the promised land? Verse 14. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And so God, he answers Moses' prayer, and he says, I will go with thee. 
But the implication was, I'm not going to go with them. He said, okay, I'll go with you, Moses, because I can see your heart. I can see, I can see the sincerity of your prayer. I can see your heart. So Moses, I'll go with, with you. But Moses was not satisfied with that. Because Moses was a leader, and he cared about his people. And he says, Lord, uh, would you go with, with us as a people? Notice verse 16. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? Everybody say us. So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. What is Moses doing? He says, God, I'm thankful that you said that you'll go with me, but God, I am pleading, I am begging, I am asking that you will go with all of your people. What was Moses doing? Moses was interceding. He was being a mediator for his people. He was caring about the concerns of other people. And this is what I want us to know today. As we are approaching Easter weekend this coming week, can I encourage you to be praying for other people to encounter the presence of God? Today we're talking about how we can encounter the presence of God and how we can get close to God. But can I encourage you that there are people in your neighborhood, there are people in Rancho Cucamonga, there are people in Fontana, in Ontario, in Upland, in Claremont that need to know about the life-giving and the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And we ought to be praying like Moses, God, would you... Fill them with your spirit. God, would you allow them to encounter your presence? I wonder who is on your prayer list? Who's on your prayer list today? When you look at your prayer list, when you look at the things that you pray for, is it, is it a self-centered prayer? Or are you praying for other people to encounter the gospel message? Moses says, God, I'm thankful that you'll go with me, but God, would you please go with me and your people? He was interceding on their behalf. Notice verse 17. What does God say? Verse 17. And the Lord said unto Moses... I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. God says, God says, I'm going to answer your prayer. And, he, and here we see the power of prayer that God says, okay, I'm going to answer this request, and I'm going to go with you. Now, today, what are we learning? Uh, we're learning that we have to be honest about our condition. Uh, number two, we have to be willing to put, put in the effort. We have to go outside the camp sometimes. We have to uh, give some intentionality if we want to get close to God. And here's the third thing uh, that I want us to understand today. The third principle is this. We have to harness the power of a pattern. Now, this has really been the heartbeat of the series to talk about different biblical patterns for prayer. And if you've ever struggled with your prayer life, one of the best things that I would encourage you to do, that I would counsel you to do, is to find a pattern uh, that you can uh, pray after from a biblical standard. Uh, I think an example of this is, how many of you remember uh, Daniel in the Old Testament? Uh, Daniel in the Old Testament, the Bible says that, that he prayed uh, in his bedroom, in his chambers, with his windows open toward Jerusalem three times a day. And uh, he was constantly praying. And then the Bible says this, as he did aforetime, as his custom was. And so this was something that Daniel constantly did. It wasn't just like a one-time thing. He constantly did that. He had a consistent prayer life. And that's what we desire to have, a consistent prayer life. And what we see is that Daniel had a specific time, he had a specific place, and he had a specific posture. Uh, he, he did this three times a day. He had a specific posture on his knees towards uh, Jerusalem. So what do we learn? That he had a plan and he had a pattern. Maybe today your prayer life is lacking or struggling because you don't have a plan and you don't have a pattern. This is why Paul said, labor with me when I pray, that it's not going to be easy. You've got to work at it. You've got to be intentional when it comes to uh, your prayer life. And so I want to close uh, by talking about a pattern uh, that we can uh, emulate in our lives. Would that be all right today? All right. And uh, while Moses is talking with God, let me ask this question. Where is all this taking place? When Moses is talking to God, where is he at? 
He's in that tabernacle tent, right? He's in that prototype. Uh, the main tabernacle had not yet been built, but Moses was in this tabernacle tent. Now, this tabernacle is, is the main tabernacle, and you can leave this on the screen for a moment. Uh, this was the tabernacle that if you study the rest of the book of Exodus, uh, this is what the Lord is describing to Moses and the people to build. And he's very specific. Can I tell you today that we worship a God that cares about the details? And he he gives them the exact details and measurements of what he wants in his tabernacle. This was the place where God's presence would dwell uh, in the middle of the camp, uh, in the Holy of Holies. God's presence would uh, dwell here. And and so what we see is that that God had a very specific uh, plan for the building of the tabernacle. And there were seven different stations that you would pass as you came into this tabernacle. Uh, You would go through the outer court. You would see the brazen altar. You would see the laver. You would see the candlestick. You would see the altar of incense. And each one of these checkpoints and stations was how they would encounter the presence of God. Are you with me today? Now, you might be thinking, what does this matter for me? Because we don't have a tabernacle and we don't have all of these things uh, for uh, us to follow. And so what is the point of us knowing about this tabernacle? Because we don't have this uh, today. Well, the Bible says this, and I would encourage you to jot down this verse uh, today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 5. It says this. Who served, God's, uh, the scripture here is talking about the tabernacle. Who serve unto the example, everybody say example, and so this was an example, example of and shadow of heavenly things. So speaking of, of the tabernacle, this was an example, this was a shadow, it was a type of the coming heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. And so God was very involved with the tabernacle. God was uh, very involved with giving Moses those details. Uh, For see, he saith, that thou make all things according to the pattern, pattern, showed to thee in the mount. So God had a specific pattern for the tabernacle, and these things in the tabernacle were symbolic of heavenly things. Are you tracking with me today? And so even though these things, we don't use them anymore, and we don't have these things anymore uh, in, in the New Testament, in the church age, what we see is that they are valuable for us to understand because they are symbolic. They point us ahead, ultimately, to Jesus and to heavenly things. And so as we look to the tabernacle, what we find is how they would approach God's presence, and we can use these things as a pattern for prayer. Not as law. We don't have to do this. We don't have to pray this way. Not as law, but as a principle, as a pattern. And so we're going to look, as we close today, at these seven checkpoints, and we're going to use them as a pattern for prayer, what they were symbolic of and how we can apply them to our lives. Would that be okay today? And as you leave today, uh, the, uh, the final prayer pattern that we have is this tabernacle prayer. And we're going to get these things as we leave today, and we can use this as a pattern. But I want to show them to you uh, in in uh, this prayer pattern today. Uh, The first thing that we see in the temple was this, the outer court, the outer court. As the people would come to the tabernacle, uh, they would approach this outer court and uh, they would approach this outer court, the Bible says, with, with gratitude and with thanksgiving. The Bible says this in Psalm 100, verse number four, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And so the first thing that we ought to do when we pray is we ought to approach God with gratitude in our hearts and thanksgiving in our hearts and praising and thanking him for all of the blessings that he has given us. And so often we rush into God's presence and it's about what we want, but rather we should approach God with gratitude. Can I tell you that nothing will change the atmosphere of your prayer life like gratitude. We enter into his courts, into his courts uh, with, with praise and thanksgiving. Uh, that's the outer court. The second piece of furniture today, and, and bear with me as we go through these, uh, the second piece was the brazen altar. 
the brazen altar would be where the people would bring an animal and the priest would make a sacrifice for the atonement of their sins, to cover their sins. They would bring an animal uh, to be the sacrifice to cover their own sin. Now, I'm thankful today that we don't have to do this. Aren't you thankful today that we don't have to sacrifice, uh, sacrifice an animal for the atonement of our sins? Why? Because the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 12. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And so when we pray, we remember our sacrifice. Uh, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. By the way, that's exactly what we're doing this Friday at Good Friday. We are going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so when we pray, we pray, Lord, thank you for your broken body. God, thank you for the blood that was shed. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross so that I could have a relationship with you. Is there anyone at the 830 service today that would say, I am so thankful and so grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus made for me on the cross? cross so that I could live with him forever. He's forgiven us of our sins. And so as we approach and as we're looking at the tabernacle, the outer court represents praise and thanksgiving. But that brazen altar represents the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And so when we pray, we pray, thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. But then here's the third element, the laver. Now, as the priests would prepare to get closer to God, as they would prepare to encounter God's presence, they would wash themselves in this, in this laver, in this, in this bowl, this brass bowl of water, this bronze bowl of water. They would, they would cleanse themselves. And this represents, of course, the, the, the cleansing, the purification that they would need to get close to God. In our lives, the Bible says this in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we pray and we think of the, the labor, this is the portion of our prayer when we get right with God, when we confess our sins to him, when we uh, say, Lord, there's been a bear, there's been a sin in my life uh, that I need to give to you, that I need to confess to you. Then as we approach uh, inside the actual tent, uh, there would be this place called the holy place and there was a candlestick in the midst of that holy place. And this seven-branch candlestick was actually the only light in the tabernacle. It was the only light. And this, this seven-branch candlestick represents the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit of God. The illuminate, the, that, that the Holy Spirit can fill you and use you so that you can be a light to a dark world. And so when we pray and as we consider the candlestick, we ask the Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you allow me to be used for your glory? Allow me to be a light into a lost and a dark world. And so we pray uh, for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then in that same holy place, there was the table of showbread. The table of showbread in the inner holy place was this table with 12 uh, loaves of bread. And this represented the importance of the word of God. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 4, but he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And that this is the time in our prayer lives when we uh, incorporate scripture into our prayers. And I want to encourage you just to think about the, the symbolism and the significance of this. And I've been praying according to this prayer pattern this week, and it has been so encouraging and refreshing for me to come to these checkpoints and to consider the table of showbread, symbolic of God's word, and then to incorporate scripture into my prayers and to consider what the word of God says when I'm praying, that I'm not doing all the talking, that I'm going to listen by way of God's word. 
Then the next station would be this, the altar of incense. And this is, again, in that inner holy place where uh, God's presence would, uh, right outside the holy of holies, uh, this would have been uh, something that would have produced a sweet-smelling aroma. And uh, the idea with the picture was that this smell would rise and be pleasing to God. And so the altar of incense is a picture of our worship. And so when you pray, consider your worship in prayer. Am I worshiping the Lord, praising him? Praising him for who he is, uh, worshiping his holy name. Uh, This is the time in your prayer life when you can worship him through song. You can sing praises to his name. You can worship him through uh, study. But the altar of incense reminds us that we worship him. And then here's the last one, the Ark of the Covenant. As you entered into the Holy of Holies, there was this Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. This is where the high priest would come and, uh, and, and sprinkle the blood to offer atonement uh, for sins. And, and uh, uh, this was representative, representative of intercession. He was praying on behalf of other people. And so when we consider the Ark of the Covenant, we consider who in my life do I need to be praying for? Who can I be interceding for? Uh, who can I uh, lift up before uh, the, the name of Jesus and be praying for other people? And so these seven components, I would encourage you, if you are looking for something to uh, freshen up your prayer life, if you're looking to strengthen your prayer life, consider how in the Old Testament they encountered the presence of God. And don't say, well, that's just for the Old Testament. What does it matter for me? Because Hebrew says these things were a symbol, a shadow of heavenly things. And we can consider these steps and we can pray them uh, in our lives on a daily basis. And I want to read, read one more verse today as we close. Do you have one more verse in you today? Hang with me because this verse is very powerful, I believe. John chapter 1, verse number 14 says this. In the word, the word is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, this was a name, a title for Jesus, and the Word became flesh. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem, that the Word who is God and who was God, uh, the Word became flesh, and then it says this, and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. Now, Don't miss this. The word dwelt is a very significant word. The word dwelt in the Greek is this word, skenao. Everybody turn to your neighbor and tell them skenao. Turn to your second choice that you didn't choose and say skenao. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, dwelt skenao. Do you want to know what the word skenao means? Dwelt, what does this mean? It means to tabernacle. It means to abide in tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacle. The word became flesh. Jesus Christ is our tabernacle, that Jesus Christ is our mediator, that Jesus Christ is our sacrifice, that Jesus Christ is our high priest, that we can talk to God because of Jesus, that we can encounter the presence of God because of Jesus. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus. I'm thankful today that we can boldly approach the throne of grace because of Jesus. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us so that we can get close to God. You say, God doesn't want to get close to me. This is the reason he came to dwell among us so that we can get close to him. And I would encourage you today to consider, am I actively encountering the presence of God?
Am I actively pursuing the presence of God? Am I being honest about my condition? Am I willing to put in the effort? Am I following a biblical pattern to encounter his presence? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we close.